Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on the podcast is Bill Shulman, who uh, is a uh, longtime editor for Yankees Magazine. These are the like the private magazines that are that are um, sold and produced for the uh, the teams, the New York Yankees, and. Um, He's, going, he's, he's been speaking at libraries uh, around the area. Uh, people are pretty interested in it because the Yankees have an ungodly record at the moment that awesome. seems to be up in the stratosphere for no other reason than everybody's hitting home runs. But in any case, um, the reason that he's, um, he, he speaks to people is he's written a book, which um, is basically a summary of what some of the... Uh, baseball players that the Yankees have told him that he's put into the magazine over the many years that he's done this. So that'll be what we're going to be talking about. First of all, what got you interested in uh, uh, being an editor of a Yankee of the Yankees magazine? What was your uh, history for that? Well, actually, I'm not an editor. I was just a writer. I had two columns in each issue, which was good. Um, I've always uh, been a writer from the time I got out of college, part-time, it's an avocation. And uh, one day I was promoting baseball card shows and I contacted the Yankees with a press release because I was having Bobby Richardson as my guest. So I figured I'd get some free advertising. (laughs) One thing led to another and the editor of the magazine uh, said to me after a while, would you like to write a column for the Yankees? which was absolutely incredible to me. Why would, he, why would he have thought that out of all the people that he must be in contact with? He liked the press release. He liked it a lot. And, you know, we chatted for about 20 minutes. And uh, he just seemed to think the, the publication was really just getting started. It was in its infancy. And uh, so he asked if I would be interested. I could send him a sample of uh-huh. my So I sent him an article. And I remember it's an absolute true story. He said, you know, the money won't be much. And I told him, whatever it is, I'll pay it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and that's a true story. And he got a kick out of that. So and he liked my first article. And what was your first article? Do you remember it? It was about collecting baseball cards, which is what my avocation was at the time. And it basically my reason for collecting cards and dealing in them were the memories that were attached to them. Sure. I could care less about the money. You know, a lot of people go into collecting because today it's $5. Tomorrow it'll be $10 in this economy. But who knows? It could be a hundred dollars by now, but I was really doing it for the memories that I had of those baseball cards. And it was, it was great. What was yeah. the first year you did this? Uh, for the Yankees. Yes. Yeah, 1982. That's a long time from 
1982. And I did it right up to about 2000. And then they had, uh, you know, many changes and we just kind of got lost in the shuffle. But, you know, to have worked for them for 18 years, I, I could never have dreamed that in my life. Uh, it was fantastic. What were some of the, uh, let's, let's get into it a little bit. What is, what are some of the, tell me a story that you remember. From- okay. Uh, about baseball cards. Uh, okay. Phil Rizzuto was my Yank- favorite Yankee when I was a kid. I, I date back to the early 50s, and I used to call him Zuzuto because I couldn't say it. I was only five. <laughs> and I remember my, my father brought home a baseball shirt, New York Yankee shirt. And I was just thrilled beyond belief. But in those days, they didn't have numbers on the back of them. So my mother said, she'll make a number on the back out of ribbon for me. She said, what number do you want? I said, Zuzuto. <laughs> What's his number? Ten. Well. Making a zero on a sewing machine, not easy. So she said, choose another player, which led to about a 20-minute <laughs> argument. And finally, she said, gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. She said, pick another player or no uniform. So I said, all right, Yogi Berra. Eight, two zeros <laughs> on top of each other. So when I see my 1953 baseball card of Phil Rizzuto, absolutely comes to my mind you know i'm reliving that moment the bottom line is as soon as i said uh eight she said i'll give you 10 and i thought (laughs) i won the argument but i I found out many years later that that's how it happened (laughs) well but so you've interviewed uh, some of these early players too oh in my i took on the column of where are they now about 84, I guess it was. And that was just a straight interview. I did 113 of the former Yankees. I mean, it's these are the people that I idolized growing up. So So, did you interview? uh, We had uh, we have a a game in the summer. We play here once a year called the artist writers game. And Yogi Berra came once to, uh, uh, I guess, to root to cheer for his son who was playing in the game. It was a not Dale Berra. Dale Berra? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Dale I never interviewed. Uh, I'm trying to say, I mean, it's so many of them. It, you know, if, if you'd like me to talk about my favorites, Bill Scourin, which is another story I could tell you if you want about Moose. People yeah. don't know the, der- the derivation of the nickname Moose. They think it's because he's a big husky guy, and that's not it at all. When he was 10 years old, his grandfather took him out and says, time for a haircut, Bill. So he decided he'd do it himself and save a few bucks. So grandpa's idea of a haircut was take this buzz cut and just shave off his head. Well, Moose got back to his friends and they teased him mercilessly and started calling him Mussolini (laughs) for the dictator at that time. (laughs) Mussolini got shortened to Moose and that was the derivation of Moose. Tell me another one. Tell me another story from somebody. Uh, let's see. What can we do? Uh, while we're on nicknames, uh, people don't realize the nickname of Scooter, Rizzuto. Yes. And uh, that came about when he was uh, in the minor leagues playing for a guy named Billy Hitchcock in Kansas City. And 
Rizzuto hit a double and then came home to score on a single and he got to the dugout and Billy Hitchcock in his Southern draw said, you know something, man, you ain't running, you're scooting. Mm-hmm. And that's how Scooter became his nickname. And as he told me once, I wrote an article for the Yankee magazine and uh, for the uh, Yankee yearbook about Rizzuto. And he said that was the best thing that ever happened to me besides Flora, which was his wife, of course. And uh, he said, because it gave him an identity and everybody sure. knows Scooter, you know, the best. Did you ever interview Mickey Mantle? Not for the column. But I did spend time with Mantle. Yeah. Uh, an interesting story about Mickey. Um, I wanted to ask him a question that maybe people don't ask. And they had just retired Elson Howard's uniform number, and I believe Roger Maris's as well. And I love Roger Maris was right up there with my favorite people. I could tell you a Maris story in a minute. But I said to Mickey, you know, having your retired number is like the epitome of, of success, and, you know, uh, honor. And they're doing a lot of them now. Does that somehow diminish the effect a little bit? And he said, absolutely. I was very surprised. He said, absolutely. You know, and he, his number was, I think, the fourth retired behind uh, Ruth Gehrig and DiMaggio, and then came Mickey. And now they have... I don't know, 18, 20, whatever a number. Yeah. Everybody's retired. We're running out of numbers. We are. I mean, there's no question <laughs> about it. I mean, Billy Martin was a terrific manager. Yeah, had a who did, yeah, who did more for the number one, him or say Bobby Richardson, who was a class human being, a great second baseman. He played for the Yankees for years. Now, Martin was a great manager. I can't take that away from him. But Number one is retired for Martin, and I'm not so sure. But I'll give you a great Roger Maris story, if you like. Yes. Once I get started, you're in trouble here. (laughs) Once I get started. Well, we have 20 minutes, so. Okay. We, uh, my first trip to the Yankee clubhouse, which was, you know, the perk of all perks, getting this job. Yeah. Uh, We had put together the magazine to put together a centerfold. It was a newspaper format at the time. And it had 22 players, baseball cards of the players who were going to be there that day. And I wanted to get it all autographed. So I was getting a few signatures and the security guard came over and said, uh, members of the media are not permitted to get autographs. So I said, here it is my first day. I'm going to get kicked out. How <laughs> terrible is that? So I was getting ready to put it away and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and saw it. And it was Roger Maris. And he said, who's that handsome guy pointing to his picture? And I told him and I introduced myself and uh, he said, would you like me to sign it for you? And I said, I, I'd love to, but I can't, you know, member of the media. He said, well, I'm not a member of the media. He signed his picture, took the, the paper and disappeared for about 10 minutes, came back with six additional signatures that he had gotten from the Yankees. He said, I'm not a member of the media. <laughs> and he did that. Didn't know me or anything, but Roger Maris was a super guy. Really, really tremendous man. What's another story that stands out in your mind that you can tell uh, us? Can I use a, a off-color word or should I clean it up? Uh, use an off-color word. 
Okay, you can. Have, I, I was interviewing Billy Gardner, who was a utility player for the Yankees, and sometimes use, it's like, use your best judgment on the word, whatever. <laughs> I'll clean it up. <laughs> um, he's just like an ordinary player, and sometimes it's difficult to write an article about someone who is, you know, had no great impact. And I realized that Billy had played in four great ballparks, Yankee Stadium, the Polar Grounds, Ebbets, um, Fenway Park, and Griffith Stadium in Washington. So I asked him about the four ballparks to give a, an idea, you know, make it interesting. He said, I'll tell you a story about Griffith Park in Washington. He said it was 1960, and it was uh, uh, Ted Williams' last season. He had announced his retirement. So... He said he was at bat in the fifth inning facing a former Yankee by the name of Pedro Ramos. This was against the Washington Senators. Ramos was pitching for them. And he struck out Ted Williams. Now, I'm sure you know that Ted Williams' religion, history is a religion for this man. Yeah. So uh, what's his name? Went over to him and said, um, would you sign the ball for me after he just struck him out? If Pedro Ramos, he just struck him out. Williams didn't say a word. He just looked at him, stared him down with that look. So now he comes up again in the seventh or eighth inning, and Pedro is still pitching. Hmm. Well, Ted hits one clear over the roof of Griffith Park for a home run out into the street. And as he's passing right in front of Billy Gardner, he yells into Ramos, if you can find that freaking ball, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> Which, you know, is, is so typical of, of Ted Williams. Yes. It's, you know, I, I like that story. That's one of my favorites. So I, I'm sure you can figure out what I cleaned up. Oh, that, well, that's, that's a wonderful story. Tell me another. Tell me one more. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of the they're really, really good stories. Uh, Mantle and uh, Johnny. Oh, Hank Bauer. Um, oh, I got a better one. I know. I got one. Tommy Henrik. Loved the guy. Tommy Henrik spent eight, I'm um, sorry, four nights at my house when I, I lived in Comac. I was having him as a guest. And rather than stay in a hotel, I said, would you like to stay with us? And he loved it. He spent four nights telling me stars. And I, we would, got to talking about Joe DiMaggio, who's not the nicest guy uh, on coming down the pike. And he told him the story. He says, I'll tell you a story about him. He said, um, it was 1941, and DiMaggio had just hit his 41st consecutive game yeah, uh, on his way to his streak. Yeah, on his hitting streak. And it was a between. It was a doubleheader first game in in Washington D.C. Oddly enough, so he comes uh, comes the second game. Henrik's walking to the plate, and from behind him, he says, "Tom," just like that in a real scowly voice. "You got my bat." And Tommy says, "No, this is my same model, but it's it's my bat." Well, where's my bat? Nobody could find it. They couldn't find his bat. The bat he had used through the street. So he was just beside himself to mad Joe. And Tommy finally convinced him, use this bat. It's the same model. Everything's the same. So he got 
bat with the new bat the first time, ripped the line drive to right center. Guy made a great backhand stab on it. <laughs> Maggio came trotting off and he passed Henrik and said, that would have been a hit if it was my bat. <laughs> he said he never saw DiMaggio so upset. Yeah. Bottom line, in the eighth inning in his last time up, he got a hit with Henrik's bat. <laughs> and it continued the streak. And he used Henrik's bat for about five or six games. So the question you're probably running, where was his bat? They found it. Because what happened was word had gotten out in the uh, a very rough section of New Jersey. Uh, you know, some kid had come into the dugout and snatched the bat. So he said, let's just say that when this, uh, the people in the community found out that it was Joe D because it was his, that was his area in, in Jersey. He said, let's just say there was a lot of pressure on the kid to receive, to return <laughs> and he brought the bat back. Wow. So, uh, and that, that, speaking of that, it, it came another story that I think was great. You have time for one more? Sure. Remember Bob Turley? Good pitcher for the Yankees. Yeah. Right. He was pitching in Aberdeen, South Dakota in 1949 in the minor leagues. And Turley was a straight-laced, honest man, terrific guy, and went on to a great few, you know, great uh, success after baseball. Well, anyway, he's out in the outfield shagging fly balls before a game. And all of a sudden, the kid jumps over the fence, runs over to a ball that was lying there, picked it up and started running back. And as Turley said, I didn't think that was right. So he <laughs> ran down the kid with the ball away from him, which he did. And the kid went on his way. Fast forward 1960 in, uh, in Florida during the first day of spring training. And Bob Turley was talking to a new addition to the Yankees, and he found out on that day that the kid he had run down was Roger Maris. <laughs> and they, Maris came over to him, says, you know, what you did, and gave him the story. So uh, everybody had a good laugh over that. My question was, if you, if you know Bob Turley, he's kind of a hulking guy. How he ran down Roger Maris, I'll never figure out. but. He did school at the time. <laughs> That's why he was younger, I guess. Short steps. Probably. Yep. So that was the, that particular story, which I also enjoyed. But what I do in, in the book, it's a very small book, maybe 70 pages, is I try and, and relate these type of stories that you don't read about in the newspaper. Yes. I mean, we could talk statistics which what I find that to be a little boring, except in one case. You can see where I'm going with this. Where? Johnny Sane was, oh. a, was a pitcher for the Yankees in his later years. And I was going to interview Sane, so I was looking in the baseball encyclopedia to get some information. And I looked and I noticed something. He batted 774 times in the major leagues. Okay. He struck out 20 times in 774 at bats. That's not much. Now, no, not at all. In fact, what I, I mentioned at my uh, at my programs, I'm I'm pretty sure that Joey Gallo did that in the doubleheader against the Red Sox two weeks ago. 
he struck out 20 times. <laughs> so, but that would have put him fifth on the all-time list of players most uh, most difficult to strike out. I think uh, Joe Sewell was first, and Nellie Fox was in there, and uh, the others, I don't know off the top of my head, but he would have been fifth had he had enough to qualify for the thing. It's amazing for a pitcher to do that. 20 strikeouts. And yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, all that time. All right. Well, uh, well, what's going on today with the Yankees? They are amazing. I mean, you say that about the Mets, but then that's <laughs> Both teams are doing well. I've always said about baseball, teams are never as good as they look when they're winning. And they're probably never as bad as they look when they're losing. Streaks yeah. are inevitable. But, you, you know, the Yankees are not going to play 700 ball. <laughs> Nobody has in history. So, you know, they, they've been fortunate. So, you know, I get, but, you know, to me, baseball has changed. It's just a whole different thing. Does your dad used to take you to Yankee Stadium or to uh, Shea or Brooklyn or Ebbets Field? Uh, no, we, I got the Yankee gene from my father. I, I inherited it. And luckily, passed it along to my daughter, uh, who is probably more of a Yankee nut than I am. And um, which I could tell you one other quick story. Uh, I was going to a game later. She was about 11 years old. And it goes back probably 30 something years. Uh, she was about 11. And I had arranged with the editor of the magazine so she could meet her favorite player, who was Dave Winfield. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, here's what we're going to do. When you see me come out of the dugout, the editor, come down to the Yankee box and I'll tell you where to go. So we had about 20 minutes, went out to right field and I'm standing there. And all of a sudden I see a ball coming right towards me. Uh, it was hit by Ken Griffey, not Junior, his father. And I, in my whole life of going to ball games, my father had many chances and always dropped it, kicked it, hit his hand, whatever. We never got a ball. So I'm <laughs> watching this ball coming directly to me, and I say, don't blow it like Dad did. And I caught the ball, and I you know, was able to give it to her, which was like the biggest thrill in my life. Yeah. Uh, we went over there. I, we met Winfield, and she, Stephanie had been instructed, no autographs. So after a few minutes, and Winfield was great. He talked to her like he's known her forever. He starts off, hi, Steffi, I hear you're a great fan of mine, which is tremendous. And uh, she's holding the ball and says, I see you have a ball there. Would you like me to sign it for you? So she gives me this look. I said, if Mr. Winfield offer, you can do it. And she still has that ball on, on, her, uh, you know, on her counter in her house. And I say, why this is absolutely my probably my most special moment in baseball was because for that day, I was the best father on the face of the earth. Nobody could beat me that day because I let her get a ball and meet her hero. <laughs> it was the best, best yeah. day of my life. Give us the title of the book again. And uh, when did you write it? I wrote it in 2007. It's called... Uh, Pinstripes and Tales, T-A-L-E-S. Uh, curious stories the Yankees told me. Well, In fact, we are updating the book. 
we're going to do it through Amazon. I, I was giving them out as part of my talk, and we've kind of run low on supply. So we're going to do a, a, another printing, somewhat updated. Right. So, uh, That's good. so you'll, be, you'll be speaking out at the Montauk Library. Yes. Friday, uh, this Friday, June, what is that, uh, 10? June 10th. At what time? Uh, five to six. And then we have a Q&A afterwards, you know, and people usually have questions. Sure. You know. Have uh, you been out to the Hamptons and Montauk much? Probably 70 miles from there in, uh, in Islandia. So we, we don't get out there much, but I really wanted to do Montauk. I, I don't know why. I just wanted to do it. And the librarian there, Carolyn, has just been terrific. She had a great little blurb in Newsday yesterday. Oh, that's nice. I mean, she said there's quite a bit of interest, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so, well, perhaps I'll, I'll see you there, uh, Pinstripes and Tails. And I will ha I'll have a copy for you, if you can. Okay. Um, I can and I tell everybody, uh, if you want it autographed, it'll be $2. <laughs> it, may, it may seem like a lot, but I'll be happy to give it to you, to give you the two bucks. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I'm talking to Bill Schulman. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. And uh, I hope you have many more enjoyable experiences with the Yankees and uh, even with the dreaded Mets. I don't know. But thanks again for coming. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, thinking of me. It was, it's great. I appreciate it. Sure. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Thank you.